Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Training Room Talk. We have a special treat for you today. It's just going to be myself, Dr. John Herding, with Dr. Nick Perugini. Hey, guys. Excited to be here. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Um, today we're going to talk about planes of motion and um, we'll ex- I'll explain to you what that is but basically um, there's three planes of motion in the body um, there's the sagittal plane which is the plane of motion that's front to back there's the frontal plane which is the plane of motion that is side to side and there is the transverse plane which is the plane of motion that is rotational so rotating to the right or to the left um, basically this is what we I mean the very basics of it, you learn about this in anatomy just to help identify certain structures right. and everything, right? right, right. Um, and then moving forward as you move into, um, it's a key tenant in some of our kinesiology classes as we get into mm-hmm. movement and at the very basic level is what plane of motion is this muscle providing movement in, right? right? Um, and that's the basics of like our kinesiology and kinesiology or movement um, courses. Um, but then, as you start to think about programming and rehabilitation programs, performance programs, um, you can see it gets more much more complicated than just thinking about front to back, side to side, and rotational type movements. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, do you want to talk about maybe how? Um, I guess how it starts to get a little bit more complicated and then we can feed that right into like how we um, place the planes of motion into our particular pro- programming philosophies and techniques. Yeah, yeah, would love to. I think uh, I think to make it easy today, maybe we'll just talk about, um, you know, it's like some exercise progression with maybe someone who is experiencing some kind of, you know, low, low back pain, uh, for example. Um, you know, so generally when we think of, you know, starting someone out, uh, there, there's a, a few concepts that we, we want to, uh, you know, teach and, and have someone be able to perform and, and be competent at that. And generally, you know, that starts with the sagittal plane. And, you know, one of the things that we're looking at there is can, can someone, um, you know, control or, or resist extension, right? And that what that may look like uh, for someone is maybe like a supine dead bug, um, even just a plank. And uh, generally, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to get someone to be able to control those forces, again, in the sagittal plane. And we're looking at using some of our, our just abdominal muscles to, to work in the sagittal plane there, uh, using some of our hamstring muscles to work in the sagittal plane. And that's generally going to be a good starting point, right? We're not talking about, you know, rotation or moving side to side, but just generally looking at, hey, can we control this forward to back motion? Um, you know, from there, then we can kind of, you know, step it up and maybe like, let's look at resisting some side to side or, or, or frontal plane, um, you know, forces. So, you know, when we start looking at, at frontal plane, maybe we even start looking at getting our lower body involved, how muscles on the side and on the inside of our hips are, are controlling forces. Um, so we may be, you know, cueing at times you know, to, to, to work on lateral hip muscles uh, or the muscles on the inside of our body. And once we've done that, um, we can progress to kind of incorporating the full body into, into a rotational aspect. Um, John, do you have anything to add on top of kind of that, that just general 
progression from sagittal to frontal to transverse? Yeah, I think you mentioned a couple things there, Nick. Um, first, I'll touch on that, where um, the sagittal plane or um, can be a tell of kind of where the central nervous system is, in my opinion. It can, if someone is what we would classify as an, it overextended, they might have this higher neural drive for performance or to, you know, maybe they're not responding to stress as well as they should have, as esoteric as that sounds. But so to me, if someone comes in here with this highly sagittalized, um, you know, process of movement where their ribs are way up, elevated and flared, um, they have this huge anterior pelvic tertiary increased lordosis, and they have trouble just kind of bringing themselves, um, their ribs down and their hips underneath them um, and fully exhaling, then there might need to be some other interventions and. Um, there might be some extenuating circumstances that are going to affect their movement patterns. Right. Right. Um, and I think you're looking at that sagittal um, control first um, as they start to get that. And, and think, guys, we're thinking inside out. So we're thinking we need, uh, in our philosophy, you need to set a foundation of, of good um, axial skeleton control and axial skeleton position with your rib cage. Um, with your pelvis so that your appendicular skeleton and your extremities can have a good foundation and mm -hmm. a good position off of which to move. Um, so you're thinking sagittal plane systemically, and then from there, as you get, start to get that, then you start to maybe get a little bit of frontal plane lower body control because you need to control frontal plane in gait so your hips don't pop out to the side as you take a step as your foot's being placed down into stance. Um, and then on top of that, you're putting a transverse plane torso or rib cage because your arm swing um, does impact how your foot strikes the ground, how you move through the phases of, of gait. And so transverse plane is rib cage and arms rotating you onto your stance leg and gait. So it's this progression of um, layers of sagittal plane systemically, then maybe frontal plane, lower extremity mm -hmm. to put a transverse plane, upper extremity on top of that. Um, but that being said, everything's what we would call triplanar that involves all three planes of motion. I can't just say we need frontal plane, lower extremity because you need frontal and transverse plane and sagittal plane, lower extremity to control like gait, which turns into um, the basis of most everything that, that we're thinking about in our um, rehab and performance programs. Um, that being said, too, you talked about a little bit of making sure you can control things and thinking control before movement, making sure you have, we've talked about this before, the brakes on the car before you start to build performance on the car um, is huge. So we'll do a lot of find and feel this position, which are cues that we use daily, and then hold that position for a certain amount of breath so you can further feel it and drive home what we're looking for. And right? it turns out, you know, that's actually going to be mobility training, right, is is getting into a position, feeling that position, and, you know, putting some effort into holding that position is going to, you know, is you're putting your, your bones into a position and creating tension there to own it, to have it be a part of your, you know, movement, you know, literacy. Yeah, exactly. And so... Mobility is based on joint position, 
right? So everybody out there that feels like every day when they go to the gym, they have to hit the same spots with the foam roller. They have to do the same hip mobilizations before they squat. And they've been doing it for weeks, months, or years. And it's never getting better, but they're just kind of maintaining by hitting it every time they squat. Then let's do something else. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out a different way that we can find position so you don't have to hit the same things every day and just kind of continue to maintain. Let's let's help you through the the deficit um, so that it's actually more beneficial and you're not wasting time doing these things, right? Yeah. So back to the back to the planes of motion. You know, we we've kind of discussed working through from sagittal to frontal to transverse. You know, generally what we're seeing is that the people who are coming in that are maybe, you know, locked into extension and, and are having a hard time, you know, in, the, in that position or have the elevator ribs, anterior pelvic tilt, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a, it, be, it becomes problematic when it's uncontrollable or when we can't reverse it and get in and out of those states. Or it's your dominant pattern. Or it's your dominant pattern, right? And those are the things that are making... Right, so it's their superpower, right? It's their ability to get there and produce force um, and power that makes you know a lot of people good at what they do. Whether it's you know a powerlifting sport or a barbell sport or even a even a performance sport or field based sport. But what we're interested in doing is being able to have options and being able to create variability for that person. And that's where I think the planes of motion become important to us and how we use them is that we're looking at someone's ability to get in and out of these planes. With and make it look effortless. Right. There is no bad movement. There is no ideal movement. It's do you have access to the specific range of motion with control to be able to perform the activity you want to perform? Right. And if someone – we want to be able to give people what they don't have, right? That's ultimately ultimately what it is. And we're, we're, we're able to use um, our, our uh, appendicular measurements to understand – of someone's axial positioning, right? And based on those measurements, we're able to understand where someone has access to. And that's going to help drive, you know, hey, we're going to really attack sagittal plane here because that's what they need first. Hey, you know, rotation's maybe a little limited. Maybe that'll lead us to more frontal and transverse plane. And and I think it's it's all, all of this is taking into the goals of, um, you know, we're seeing most – we're seeing mostly people in pain first and then they move on to see Rob for more performance but what I would consider as we're getting people out of the injury process we're also giving them performance because we're giving them access to these positions that maybe they are compensating to get into before right and that's why they got hurt we're cleaning up the the leaks in the chain that are limiting their performance at this point and we're helping them connect the dots so that they can improve their performance and be more resilient in the right. future yeah this is this is not happening you know and ha- how we're sprinkling this into our planet cares you know it's not happening in a vacuum you know obviously we're we're taking consideration you know mechanisms of injury you know goals any specific tissue damage that that has occurred but again in that meantime it's let's look at all of the all of this low-hanging fruit that we, that we can give to someone that's not only going to help with you know potentially their injury or or redistributing where stress is being placed to that injured area, but it's opening up their entire you know body or you know kinetic chain, whatever whatever you want to call it, um, so that they can access you know different patterns that may improve their performance, may decrease the site of a, a chronic pain site, um, so they can do whatever they need to do.
So, Nick, how are you treating – so you have a professional baseball pitcher who's making an MLB salary who comes in with, you know, elbow pain, and he presents to you as a sagittal plane dominant person, but that's how he makes his money, Yeah. right? Are you going to try to get him – you know, out of sagittal plane. Like, what are you going to do for that? Because I've because in our opinion, sagittal plane is performance in a lot of in a lot of cases, um, and that's his money maker. That's how he's going to um, provide for his family. What are you doing in those cases where um, you know a pitcher comes in with elbow pain and he it presents in a pattern that we may not find ideal for most people? Yeah, and again, especially in someone who's is who's having some elbow pain. Um, in this in this situation, how we would use the planes of motion, right? We are going to. I think as someone who is you know very patterned or doesn't have access to their 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 full range of motion, you know maybe they're they're limited in in, in hip extension and their upper body uh, range of motion is is also limited. Um, this is someone who, on a if I if I kind of draw a line here, make a spectrum, you know, with two lines on on each of the end. If they're stuck on one end of the spectrum in their in their movement capability, they only have access uh, to a, to a little bit of room on that right side. But they don't have. So basically, this person is is jammed up in their in their movement. They don't have access to their full range of motion. So what we're trying to do is we're not trying to change someone's mechanics per se. We're not going to mess with 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 someone's pitching mechanics. But what we want to make sure that they have is they have access to different ranges of motion that they can get into when they're when they're training outside of baseball uh, at rest and you know also when they're on the field so what what that may look like is you know not just checking you know elbow range of motion or pronation supination um, or shoulder but also looking at things like you know their their hip mobility right and and their lead leg you know internal rotation for example so if we're looking at someone in the sagittal plane is hey let's be able to restore their hip extension let's be able to restore um, shoulder mobility let's be able to see if we can get some rib some rib mobility changes have someone sense and feel and own um obliques hamstrings anterior abs uh with a full exhalation um again starting from the inside out as you said before by looking at hey can we influence and control rib cage over pelvis yeah and i i think you're not necessarily looking to like you said nick um Fully get him out of the patterns that are making him successful. But if we go back, right, they're going to go back to the pattern, but we're trying to give a buffer almost. Exactly. So if he's when he goes out and pitches and earns his money, if he's pushing himself further toward one end of the spectrum, he can recover with some of the, the drills and activities we give him to bring him back off of that threshold before he pitches again instead of compl- always pushing, pushing, pushing that threshold until right. the straw breaks the camel's right. back. If we can give him that buffer for performance, knowing that performance is going to push him into patterns that got him to be as successful as he is, yeah. but if we can provide the strategies to open him up a little bit more, provide a buffer for performance, then we know he can continue to be successful um, cleaning up the holes in his movement and then um, performing better right um and and we inevitably know we you know we've mentioned this before that as you work further and further further into performance realms you lose health right right and that's just the nature of the beast and and we all 
you know, most of the athletes that we work with, um, we were athletes ourselves. Like, we'd rather push performance to the threshold. You understand what it comes with. Right, exactly. So if I have a little bit of knee pain, but my performance is, is going well, I'm going to do the things to give me the buffer to get me out of the knee pain. But I still want to perform at a higher level of function, understanding that um, overall health may suffer. Without, and I think the one thing there is that, you know, that we're seeing a lot, without sacrificing training volume right. and frequency. Right. Yeah. And then you get into that's a whole nother podcast where, you know, we're just talking about now about planes of motion and how they impact our thought process. But then how does that get into training frequency volume? Yeah, this is again, this the conversation that we're having today uh, does not happen in a vacuum. It's it's includes a lot of other things, especially when we're talking with someone that maybe is dealing with dealing with the injury or dealing with pain. But, but I think going back to the beginning where we're talking about how all of this, this triplanar um, motion relates to gait, we're thinking about gait and walking when someone's lying on the table and they're performing specific activities That's and we're it. asking them to find certain positions and feel certain muscles. Um, this isn't typical rehab programs that lie on your side and raise your leg up straight. Like there, There's no thought process into... Um, multiple planes of motion, how it relates to what happens when you get off the table and how that relates to overall kinetic change. So total body position, movement and control. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's the big thing is right. When we're going through our orthopedic exam, it's, you know, part of it is orthopedic, but also part of it is, is, is just understanding, you know, their, their habits and where they're driven towards and how that might relate back to their gait or their performance or their rotation or throwing or anything like that. And even as we, we sit here and talk about planes of motion, the body doesn't know planes of motion. The body doesn't understand specific muscles. Um, but we're thinking this to try to break it down and make things easier in our heads. But invariably, as I get further along into this profession, understanding the body doesn't separate all of this stuff if we can just find out where, okay, this person struggles to stabilize their hip in this plane of motion, in this position of stance, let's work on it. Let's just fix it. Yeah. Doesn't matter which muscles activating, doesn't matter what structure is injured. Um, if we can clean that up and change the disbursement of forces, most likely we're going to fix the injury and promote healthier movement patterns. Is that why anatomy is sometimes overrated? Anatomy is hugely overrated, but I love anatomy. So to simplify, it's not that easy, but it is easy because we're just going to address things that we have a hard time doing or that we don't have. Right. And and sometimes that comes with like humbling people, right? Especially some, and, and there, that's again, another podcast and understanding the psychology of injury and rehab and giving people wins and, but um, sometimes it means like you're humbling somebody a little bit, a high performing athlete that comes in and you give them the, the one particular movement in a range of motion that they can't control. Like I've seen people get n- notably angry mm-hmm. with it. Um, but to, to me, to us, it's just part of the process. And these are things that we're thinking about as we craft injury rehab and performance programs. And it's all one and the same. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, People are, you know, getting better through a lot of different ways. Um, but, you know, we want to be able to, you know, tr- try and give the, the best plan of care but, and also try and simplify it, right? And this is one way that we're able to, you know, simplify our, our approach. Yep. 
So next time you're you're thinking about writing programs, you're you're talking, you're interviewing a strength coach or a rehab professional, ask them about how they're thinking about planes of motion and tissue structures and um, in crafting their programs so that you can have optimal results as it relates to everyday activities and as you work into performance, um, wherever that may be. So that's it for today. Thanks a lot for listening. Until next time, guys, um, this is Training Room Talk. Talk to you soon.